Good to be with you here this morning. This is a two-part series uh, called Make a Difference. The first part is Help People Find Jesus. Next week will be Help People Follow Jesus. And I believe, we believe at Cottonwood that that's one of the greatest ways that you could make a difference in the world. Now, God's not going to call all of you to go join all nations and make disciples where Jesus is little known. We, we could do a sign-up if we want after church, anyone who wants to go to a place where Jesus hasn't ever been heard, and we'd love to get you mobilized. To do Actually, I've been about this man um, myself, and I, I'd, be, I'd actually like the adventure of you know, living in a mud hut in Africa. That would be actually fun for me. Probably not my whole family, but I would like it. Part of me would like it anyways. But this morning what we're going to review is a couple of ways that are, uh, you can make a difference in someone's life, uh, whether you're here, whether you're in and out. I'm going to grab the handheld. I think I'm going in and out. Um, thanks, David. Really how everybody can make a difference. But you are making a difference if you're a part of this church and supporting this church by your involvement, by your engagement, by your giving, uh, by your supporting the church, as David said, our uh, Cottonwood has uh, been committed to giving um, for the last several years um, eight to ten percent of our income to support other local and international missions. All Nations is one. David was inspired when I shared last time about the number of missions that we support to want to help inform everybody a little bit better about who we support, which is great and it's encouraging. All Nations is one of several. We have people in, I think, just about every continent. We're not reaching any penguins in Antarctica, but most of the other continents, probably we have people that we support um, in missions. So thank you for doing that. If you've been a part of Cottonwood and you are uh, a giver at Cottonwood, just know that you've been helping to make Jesus known in places around the world that you might not know exactly, you not, might not be as familiar with unless we get informed by like David, but that is actually happening happening here. Um, I'm going to do a couple other overviews at Cottonwood of some of the things that um, we're encouraged by and think are making a difference um, that God's allowing us to do. Um, one of them, I'm going to swing back to it later. Some of it's going to be stuff that I think that God has helped us to make a difference in, and some of it's some things that we were trusting God for and could use your partnership in. Um, last summer, we did something very Pretty spontaneous. In about April, I asked my friend Alyssa here, who's been a longtime member, hey, would you want to organize a mission trip here in our city? And she's like, yeah, let's do it. So we tried mission to our city. Uh, we probably learned that we should plan a little farther ahead was one of our lessons. But by and large, it was encouraging to work together with 50 or 60 of you guys to see if we could try to make a small difference in some lives we went out and served. We worshiped together. We engaged in some conversations. Um, I believe one person even put their faith in Christ as a result of that. We'd like to continue that. I'll swing back to that later to tell you how that could happen. Um, one of the areas that I see, we, we did a little reflection time with our leadership team last month just on where do you see God causing something to flourish or, or life sprouting up or, 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 or energy happening that, that God seems to be breathing life into. And one of the first things that we thought of was our kids' ministry. Um, uh, ben and Lindsay Thigpen have spent three or four years, is that right? Has it been that long? Three or four years uh, really investing into helping our uh, 
kids ministry to have a strong foundation. And this year we had a transition. Sarah Tweet took over as the director in August. And uh, she and I have had uh, at least a monthly conversation here or there. And we've reflected more than once about how grateful we are for the effort and labor that Ben and Lindsay put down to really just, I'm going to have to do some foundation work at my house, by the way. I'm just talking to one of my friends here who has work. And foundation work stinks when you have to do repair. Because you spend all this money, they do all this work, and then you look at what happened, and nothing's new. You don't have a new backsplash, no new appliances, no new paint colors, no nothing. It doesn't look like anything important happened at all. And it costs you a lot of money. And that's kind of how I feel like, in some ways, um, there's a lot of things that happened that we could see, but there's a lot more things that happened that we couldn't see in the years that Ben and Lindsay put in systems, organizations, that have actually caused um, even more growth that is happening in our kids' ministry. So that thanks, we're, we're excited about that. We, um, we're excited about how, where that's headed and, uh, and uh, encouraged by the life that's happening there. Um, another uh, area that's been energizing for me personally is to work with a couple of interns, Isaac Dorman and Kayla Schultz, and uh, think about how can we make Sunday morning from a music perspective and a production perspective more effective, meaning the back behind the scenes stuff with the production stuff and how to make our Sunday mornings a place that Jesus can be found and where, where people can follow Jesus. And that's been energizing as well. Here's a couple of needs that you could pray for. And uh, if you were here earlier, you probably saw this up here, but we have a transition that'll happen at the end of the month um, Emily Wurstel has been serving in the office for the last several years, four years, I think, and she's going to step down in, uh, by the end of the month. So you could pray that God will raise up maybe one of you, maybe someone else that might want to fill in that role that's been pretty critical. Um, if you're interested in hearing more about that, you like organizing things, um, you have good communication skills, talk to me, contact the office. We'd love to tell you more about that role. Um, we're also praying about mission to our city this next year. And uh, Alyssa ha loves organizing. Alyssa loves missions. But one of the lessons that we talked about in reflection on this is that Alyssa would like to work with a team um, of organizers um, in, if we do something like this again. And so one of the contingency factors is perhaps there'd be some other eager, administrative-oriented people that would like to team with Alyssa to possibly work on mission to our city this next year. So if you're interested in that, please let me know. We'd love to add more service elements, in particular partnering with some nonprofits or service organizations in, in our area. Um, we'd love to add more elements for kids. We'd like to have more fun. So if you're a fun person, we'd love to have you be like in charge of making it fun. Um, and we'd like to do all of that in order to be on mission together to follow Jesus together. Not that we're not doing that, but there's something powerful about spending a specific amount of time to try to do something uh, intentional together at the same time that we experienced last summer and I think we could experience in future summers. So about this time, I would say about eight or nine years ago, I hopped in the old church van, which that's probably one of the sad parts of this last year is we had to retire the church van. There's a lot of memories that happened in that, this front row over here especially driving um, teens to different conferences. We had to retire that van, but one of the trips I took, it was before I had kids in the teen ministry, but I knew I was going to have teens, and so I thought I should get my feet wet, and I went along as a chaperone and a couple other parents, and 
a bunch of kids, and we were driving at that time, we were going to Big Sandy Camp, which is you drive east a long ways, and then you go a little bit south. Um, well, I was driving east and having a good conversation. It's never, it's always risky uh, if I'm talking to someone while I'm driving somewhere, whether or not we'll get to the right place and I'll take all the right exits. Um, I'm not particularly focused if that happens. It's actually better for me to not talk. Well, that happened again this time. Uh, maybe you've done this. Eh, probably you haven't done this, but I've done this more than once actually. Driving east on Highway 2, when you get to Grand Rapids, if you're not paying attention, you will end up on the wrong highway. And instead of heading to Duluth area, which is might maybe one reason you'd go that way, you'll actually be heading into the far north of Minnesota, northeast Minnesota, which is what happened to me. I didn't take the right-hand turn you have to take on Highway 2 to stay on it. I just kept driving straight through Grand Rapids, right? And it turns into 169, and pretty much you're headed to the Boundary Waters is fine if you want to go there, but if you're not trying to go there, you're, you're heading the wrong, not just like off track a little bit, like you should be going southeast, now you're going northeast. Well, we figured it out eventually. Why wasn't I using GPS? I can't remember if I was used GPS back then. I might not have, because I'm kind of a slow tech adopter. Someone in the car, I think, maybe had GPS, because I don't remember pulling maps out or anything like that, but we had to figure out how to get cross-country so it wasn't just, we didn't want to backtrack and then go, you know, we'll just go straight south and figure it out. Well, we kind of figured it out. We, we got sort of lost, and we were pretty late, so late that when we drove up, it was kind of like a crowd about this big, and except it was sort of like if back here was a big open window to the parking lot, so they could all see us coming. And then we walked in, and it was kind of like we won the Super Bowl. Yeah! The whole crowd... A little embarrassed, sheepish. There's no way to like sneak in because everyone's cheering for you. We eventually found our way. Why am I talking about getting lost? Getting lost is one of the pictures that Jesus uses in the scripture to describe people in figuring out life, the purpose that God designed them for. And actually, he describes finding the way as the answer to really the biggest problems, the biggest questions that we have in life. In John 14, Jesus actually described himself as the way, not just uh, like a way to get to the answer, but actually he is the path and the answer too. He's the path to the answer and he is the answer. When I walked into this church about 23 or four years ago, I remember going to a membership class a couple of years after that um, and this verse was shared with me as one of the foundational verses of our church. And we're going to look at this verse. It's actually two verses this week and next week. It's Colossians 1, 28 through 29. And here's what it says. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with the strength that works powerfully in me. Deep in every person's heart is a drive or a passion, I think, a yearning to make a difference. We want some, to find some kind of significance or to fulfill some kind of purpose that's beyond just existing. We don't want to just exist. We want purpose. 
And it goes all the way back to how God designed people. When he created the first man and the first woman in Genesis, he didn't just create them to exist. He actually instilled in them a purpose. He gave them a purpose, and their purpose was to work, to manage, to cultivate, to steward, to make the most of the garden, the created garden that God had put them into, that they could do something significant with their lives. Of course, it was also significant that a big part of their significance was found in, and even their motivation to want to do that work was in their walking with God, which is actually probably why we talk about walking with God now, because they literally walked with God in the early morning in the garden, is what Genesis describes. At Cottonwood, we believe that God has put us as a church family in this city at this point in history to make a difference. And here's how. By helping people find and follow Jesus. So here's my sermon in a sentence. And this is personalized so that you can say this to yourself. God designed me, you, to make a difference, to bless someone by helping them to find Jesus. So first, we're going to look at we proclaim him, which is what Colossians 1.28 says. And you got to know who you're proclaiming if you're going to proclaim him well. Thankfully, the book of Colossians, I love that book, but right before this verse in the book of Colossians, if you back up about 17 or 18 verses um, to verse 13, uh, Paul, who is a church planter and uh, uh, is writing this letter back to a church that he helped to start, he, he describes Jesus. It's one of the, it used to be a hymn that was sung. It's one of the greatest descriptions of who Jesus is in the Bible. And he, I'm going to read it to you. In verse 13, he starts describing Jesus and what he's done. He says this, he has rescued us. By the way, if you don't connect with this, what Paul describes here, you're probably not, you know, like uh, when I got lost, And we're supposed to go to McGregor, but we're headed to like Hibbing or Virginia or something like that. We're going the wrong way. In order to find the right way, we need to know where our destination is supposed to be first, right? We need to know the right city to go to. If you just start driving, hey, we're going to go on a retreat. We're going to go on a vacation somewhere. And you just start driving. I mean, that might be a vacation. Some of you are like totally up for that. Like just see what happens. But most of us want to know where we're headed. And... Paul tells us really where we're headed with who Jesus is in Colossians 1, 13 through 20. He says, here's here's the person that I proclaim before he says it. And here's what he says. He's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him. This is who we're proclaiming in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is Jesus. He is before all things, and all things, by him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn. By the way, the firstborn is repeated there. It doesn't mean he was born first. It means he's the heir, 
the one to whom everything is left to. He's the one that's in charge. He owns it all. He's the primary inheritor of everything. He's the firstborn from the dead. He is the beginning. He created everything, and he rules over even death, which is yet on the cross, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to make, have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself. Is there... I talked about shalom a few weeks ago. Jesus is the prince of shalom. Shalom is reconciling all things to himself, making all things right that aren't right now. Jesus is the one who does that. Whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Okay, so here's a summary of that to personalize it. He has rescued us. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. He's God. He's king. He's creator. He's eternal. He's in charge. He's powerful. He is united with his people. He's the leader of the church. He's first over all. He's our reconciler. He is our peacemaker. He is sacrificial, and he is the death defier. He rules over it all. That's who we proclaim. If we're not in touch with who we are talking about, we will not have motivation to want to follow him or help someone else find him. It's really important to know our destination. So that's who, here's how. Cottonwood, by the way, if you've been around here for a few months or a few years for sure, you've heard some of this message before. You will keep hearing it as long as you're around here, just so you know. If you're tired of this message, you're going to hear it again in a couple of months, and you'll hear it again a couple of months after that, because this is what God's called us to as believers, but specifically as believers here at Cottonwood. Cottonwood's embracing a really simple strategy for how to bless people. Many of your groups are going through or have gone through a book with that title. Actually, today, if you haven't read the Bless book, there's a stack out there. If you'll commit to reading it, you can have one. Just, I, I'm not going to follow up with you, okay? There's not going to be like a grade or a test or anything. But if you say, I'm not going to just take it and throw it on a shelf because we'll keep it on our shelf here if that's what you're going to do. But if you won't read it, go ahead and take one. Bless means this. It means to do good, generally. If, if you want to bless someone, you're going to do something good for them. Or else you might bless in the sense of you want to ask for God's favor on that person's life. That God, would you show favor to this person or this thing or this situation? It also can mean to ask for God's protection. Or to prosper something. Or to call something holy. So here specifically is the bless strategy. Some of you guys got this memorized. I am so glad you have it memorized. I hope that it keeps going over and over in your head because we think this is a tool that could really help us to fulfill our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. Bless is an acrostic for five ways to do good or to bless other people. The first one is to begin with prayer. In other words, you can proclaim Jesus by praying because he's really the one that brings people to himself. If you want to affect someone's life, if you really want to have an impact, if you want to make a difference in someone else's life, you know what the first thing you should do and probably the best thing you can do? Pray for that person. Talk to God about that person. Because guess what? God's the creator of all things. He's in charge of everything. He's got a lot more influence than you do. Just, just saying. You might have a little bit. He's got a lot. And if we ask the one who has a lot to work in someone's life, that'll be a little more significant. So begin with prayer. I want to just ask you a few questions, and this might get a little personal. 
Some of you will know this acrostic. It's easier for me to know this than to actually do this. So who are you praying for right now in your everyday week? Like who's on your list? Who are people that you think of? You don't have to have a list necessarily, but who are the people that you are thinking of? Ideally, someone that you have contact with, someone that you're nearby, someone that you see regularly that you can pray for or are praying for that God would bless, do good in particular, draw them to Jesus. So I, um, I am challenged to do this myself. And uh, I had this experience. I have uh, this winter we decided that we would, for the first time in the history of our family, join uh, fitness, the Choice Center over there. So we go over there a couple times a week on a good week. And uh, I ran into, I was doing some swimming, and I was running, ran into a person that I recognized. I had to think about where do I recognize them from. And I realized it was like literally decades ago. I've seen him around since then. But decades ago, I met this person when I was a student at UND. <clears throat> Just kind of crossed paths with him. And uh, where did I see him? Where did I see him? Oh, I remember. We, we bumped into each other kind of in a similar circumstance. And so and said hi to him. And do you remember? Didn't remember me. I didn't. He, he didn't. He, I wouldn't expect that necessarily. But then a couple weeks later, I saw him three times in the same day. It's kind of what happens when you go run errands, you know? You go to this shop, and they check out before you, and you go to the next stop. Oh, there, there, probably happened to you before, right? So I, I just felt like I need to start praying for this person. I don't really know if anything's going to happen of it, but I felt prompted, like, there's a reason why I bumped into him this number of times. Maybe I'll see him a couple more times. Who are you? Who's on your list? Maybe he won't be after a while, but maybe he'll continue to be on my list if I keep having opportunities to interact with him. Secondly, listen. Proclaim him by listening. So these first two are a little counterintuitive. When you think of the word proclaim, you think of speaking probably, right? Like something coming out of your mouth. Well, in this instance, the first one is have it come out of your mouth to God. And the second one is don't have something come out of your mouth. Or not a whole lot anyways. Actually, active listening requires you to say a little something. But giving the gift of listening to someone is one of the greatest gifts you could give them. In fact, I read somewhere that listening to somebody and making the effort to help them feel understood is so close to the experience of being loved that it's almost indistinguishable. Actually, maybe I read it in that book. That's probably where I read it. All that good stuff is in that book. Go read that book. One of the reasons to listen, as we're going to see later, is you might have an opportunity to serve, but one way to know how to serve someone in a way that actually is important to them is if you heard them talk about that thing. And the way that you can hear them talk about that thing or that need is to listen to them. So as you listen to someone, is there something that they're saying in the background that might be a physical need they have with a project or a relational need or an emotional need or something that's tough that's going on in their life? Those are things you can pray for. Those are things you can ask about later on that can help to build a relationship. Maybe you'll get to ask them to go out to lunch. That's E. Proclaim Jesus by eating. Now, this should be easy for you because it's easy for me. If it's not easy for you, maybe we should make an appointment. I should take you out to lunch, and I could listen to you. No, I'm just joking. Um, eating, enjoying people and the experience of sharing something good together. Jesus did this, and he was blasted for it. Regularly, people thought who you're eating with and hanging out with, you shouldn't be. 
it was really the hyper-religious who thought that. That who, because eating is, is, is an expression of intimacy. And Jesus is willing to eat with almost anybody, really, people that were not on most people's list, people that were looked down on. I mean, he ate with like, you know, IRS agents and people who were devoted to the wrong political party. People got mad about that. They didn't like it. Who can you eat with? Who can you share coffee with or grab a donut? I mean, salad with. Who can you grab a salad with? Uh, who, can you, who could you share a work lunch break with? Who could you meet? Well, is there another mom that you could meet at a park or a restaurant that has a play area if there's such a thing anymore? I'm not sure. There's a few. Can you invite someone over for coffee or tea or supper? And let me just say at any of these, if you're not sure how to answer the questions, just go back to the B. Begin with prayer. I don't know who I can listen with. Okay, really where I need to start, and this is where I'm spending more of my time, is begin with prayer. Who can I do these things with? God, show me who I can. The next one is practical, serving. Who can you serve? Proclaim him by serving. Actions. Um, Last week, Ben shared a, uh, his, a, in his message, Matthew 20, 26 through 28, where Jesus said, this is why I've come. I haven't come to be served. I've come to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. Uh, who, who could you serve? It's great to serve those who might be less fortunate, but I would want to challenge you is who could you serve in the context of relationship? Maybe, maybe if you're serving somewhere that's, that's less fortunate, is there ways that you could interact with and get to know the people that you're serving? Or who do you have relationships right now with that you can serve? By the way, there's lots of questions on this because I don't have lots of specific answers. This is just a principle that you can figure out, that we can figure out how to apply specifically. Uh, for instance, in our, uh, we live a little ways out of town, and uh, we have a dog who's somewhat annoying at times. And uh, sometimes nice to have around. Um, haven't had rabbits in my garden for the last summer or two, which is nice. Um, but we also have chickens, which when you leave for a week or so, someone has to check on them. Otherwise, it's just a mess. And their nesting box, there's eggs up to the top, and they're squished and gross and nasty. And so we have, we have neighbors that we've asked, could you come and, sometimes we ask our parents, but sometimes the neighbors, could you come and check on them and make sure they have some water and feed and and you know when you ask for someone to do a favor for you, they're more likely to ask you to do a favor for them. It's amazing. So if you're not sure who to serve, this sounds counterintuitive. Maybe you could ask someone if they could help you with something. Because we live in this place where it's really important in our culture to be nice. Right? You guys know that, right? It's important to be nice. Except we're not all that excited about people being nice to us. We want to be nice to them. Like, I, I'm not so excited about you serving me, but I'm excited to help you out, right? Like, so if you see someone stuck in the snow, you might offer to dig them out. But how many times, just to be honest, how many times you said, you need help? Nope, I got it. I'm good. Like, they're stuck. They're not going anywhere. They're not good. But I got it. Or have you maybe done that? You're stuck. No, I'm, I've done this. Nope, I'm good. I'll be back with my kids. It'll probably take us eight hours to dig the truck out of the ditch, but we're good. We don't need your tractor. No thanks. I literally did that this winter. <clears throat> One of the things that I've found is that if I ask for someone else to help me with a small thing, they might reciprocate, and that opens the door to relationship. 
Maybe you could mow someone's lawn. If you want to babysit a dog, I might know someone who needs that on occasion. No, find someone else. Our dog will be fine. <laughs> Lastly, share your story. Share your story. Proclaim him by sharing your story. This is probably what we thought most of when we think about proclaiming Jesus, but actually all these other uh, strategies oftentimes open the door for that story to be received warmly. When we begin with prayer, when we listen, when we invest in relationship by sharing a meal together and we find ways to serve other people, practically ways that they need to be served or want to be served, we might have more opportunity to share our story. So here's my story. I grew up, I think this is like a lot of people in our area, I grew up in a Christian home where we went to church most Sundays and we went to Sunday school and I didn't hate it. I mean, I wasn't crazy about it, but it wasn't the worst thing ever. A pretty positive view of the Christian faith, but it was really all in my mind. Most of my understanding of what Christianity was was something I understood intellectually. And it wasn't until I ran into some people where it went beyond that that I really experienced to experience some change on the inside that was more than just mental change. So my life wasn't that different. I believed the right things about Jesus, but my life wasn't that different because my heart wasn't that different. Now, I'm not going to go back and you, 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 we can ask God when we're in heaven later, was, was Pat saved when he was eight when he prayed that prayer or did he get saved later in high school or college or sometime after when he really crossed over to true living faith in Christ? I can't answer that for you. But I can tell you what happened to me. So I have lived most of my life, even when I was younger, with a strong drive to get things done, to achieve, to accomplish things. And one of the greatest outlets for me was in school. I just had a natural ability to like read something or have something learn and be able to have it stuck there long enough to spit it out on the tests and get awesome grades, like better than most people. So I wouldn't have to study as long. Most of my classmates didn't like me for that reason. I mean, and I probably wasn't all that kind about my abilities. But you know what that led me to do? It led me to think internally. And it has, I've fought, I continue to fight this, by the way. It's still stuck with me. That somehow if I win enough, if I learn enough, if I accomplish enough, that then I will be enough. And that's not true, according to Jesus. Actually, it was in fine, it's actually an exhausting way to live. By the way, if that's you this morning, I'm sorry that you're on that same treadmill that I've lived a big part of my life on because it's really tiring, really tiring. Because there's never, there's always something else you can try to achieve or accomplish is the problem with that. There's never an end to the next thing so that I feel like I am enough. It really wasn't until Jesus showed me, and I, this, I found this out, what, the first step, I think, in this direction. So this is, my, this is my academic career. Through high school, I was a straight-A student. For my first year, first, sem- first year of college, I was a straight-A student. Through my first, second semester of my second year, I was a straight-A student. And then I got my first B ever, and it was earth-shattering. That sounds stupid right now, actually. Thanks for smiling, because it's dumb. Um, it's dumb to have that be earth-shattering. But what that was the start of for me was realizing that my performance does not define my value. And I had to release that belief, 
that my value equals my performance and let Jesus carry it for me. And I've taken that back so many times over the years since then. It wasn't until I realized I'm really a broken man who's just flat out exhausted from trying so hard. And I heard Jesus say to my soul, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. When I found Jesus, I found rest for my soul. Now, I've decided to take it back and say, thanks, Jesus, sort of like this. Uh, in, in North Dakota, this might happen. You, you, wanna, you see someone going along the road, and they have this huge backpack on, and you, you uh, say, you want to ride? And they get in your car, and they keep the backpack on. And they're carrying their backpack. Let's just say they're sitting in the back of the truck. And they're still carrying their backpack. And they look kind of like it's hurting their back. Why don't you take that off? No, 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 I'm good. I'll just keep it on there. So are they, as you travel down the road, in the back, you driving together, as, as you travel down the road, is he have to carry that backpack on his back? Couldn't he, couldn't he just take it off? It's kind of like what we do, I do with Jesus. Like, he said, I'll carry your load. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, that sounds good. And I get on his truck, but I keep the backpack on. Like, just take it off. Take a break. Enjoy the ride. That's what I've done over and over and over and over again. Like, thanks for the ride, Jesus. I think I'll just keep carrying this. Doesn't make any sense. What is your story? What was your life like before you found Jesus? What were you afraid of? What were your concerns? What were your dreams? What were your goals? What were your pursuits, your anxieties, your desires? And how did Jesus change that? This is how you tell it. Now, that was one version of my story. I could tell you other versions of how Jesus has changed my life. That was just one way. So if I think that might connect with somebody, I might tell that part of my story or some other part of my story. How has God changed you? Here's a quote from the Blessed Book. It says this, where might your present or past brokenness connect with someone else's brokenness? You probably have multiple places where that could happen. And sharing that story, although it might be vulnerable, it might be a little scary, God might use in someone else's life. Another way to say it might be this. What parts of your story, your past or your present, your heartache or your brokenness, might connect with someone else's story? So today as we close, I'll invite the band to come up here. I just have one closing application, and that's just, how does God want you to bless someone? One of those five ways you might have felt a tug that, you want, that God wants you to begin praying or you know you have opportunities where you could listen and really give someone the gift of your attention. Or you know there's overlaps, maybe a, a, someone that takes the same lunch break as you that you could take, share a meal together and invest in that relationship. Or you know ways where you could serve. Or maybe there's someone that you could share your story with. Let's stand, and then I'll pray and we'll sing this closing song together. Jesus, thanks for having a heart to do good to us. You, you desire to do good to us. You desire to bless us. God, give us your heart for the people in this world that you desire to bless. Open our eyes. Help us to see how we can do good to someone. There's lots of ways to do it. Uh, thanks for doing good to me, Lord. Thanks for doing good to me. Pray that you would open my eyes for ways that I can help people find Jesus by blessing them, by doing good to someone else, even this week. 
And uh, thank you for doing good to us that we might be invited into your, uh, really your mission of really bringing truth that can have a life-transforming impact into other people's lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.